0: Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favourite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, knock me down with a feather. The CBC heavily censors its website comment section to maintain its leftist narrative. And we have the proverbial proof in the pudding. Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the nitty-gritty. And activist Chris Elston was back in Montreal recently to protest the use of puberty blockers in children. The good news, this time around, he wasn't pummeled by members of the ever-tolerant loving left who think it's a jolly good idea indeed for children to transition prior to puberty. Yankee Pollock has all the disturbing details. And letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day, and you had plenty to say about one of my most recent tickets via law enforcement. You see, the Peterborough police charged yours truly for covering a protest back in that city in April. My crimes? Shaking hands and laughing. And no, folks, (laughs) I'm not pulling your leg. Those are your rebels now. Let's round them up.
1: Rebel News has obtained exclusive access to information documents about CBC's comment section and how the comments are managed to amplify the opinions of some Canadians and censor and silence the facts provided by others. And they do this along political lines. Here's the document itself. We will attach it in the body of this rebelnews.com article for you to be able to read it in full for yourself. Because you should not have to take my word for anything when you can read the documents with your own eyes. It's only 42 pages long. However, it's internal CBC emails and notes about how the comment section is handled based on the content of the story and who's in the story. We know that CBC didn't like President Trump. That's obvious. But the website managers blocked any comment that linked to a Trump video That would prove the CBC's lies to be false. We'll get to that story in a second. We also first learned that CBC was very worried about controlling commenting on a Wendy Mesley story after she was suspended for repeatedly using the N-word in CBC work meetings. Look at this on page one. It's pretty clear the CBC thinks that they can't have viewers asking about what horrible word Wendy Mesley used. Hi, Spencer, Press, and Irene. The moderation team is asking for guidance on audience attempts to speculate on what word was used. Now, further down, we can see that CBC didn't even cover the story of Wendy Mesley's suspension from the network on some of their own websites, particularly Radio Canada. Thanks, Pierre. To my knowledge, this story is not covered anywhere on Radio Canada's site or social, but Via Fora is ready if needed. Can you imagine the five-alarm supernova fire that CBC would be consumed by for days if a Conservative had said what Wendy Mesley did? But since she's one of them, they admit to not even reporting the story on Radio Canada. On page 6, Staff are seeking direction on controlling comments about the Capitol Hill riot. So let's not allow links to Trump videos, they said. So if CBC falsely reported that Trump incited the riot at the Capitol, commenters could not fact check the CBC in real time by providing a link to what the president actually said. To the crowd that day
0: well your tax dollars hard at work yet again folks and if you ever suspected the fix was in when it came to the cbc's comment section well speculate no longer our foi clearly reveals that the cbc comment section is either a one-sided cesspool of radical leftism or it doesn't exist at all depending on the story and the topic, of course. That's because CBC carefully moderates their comment section to spin their own progressive narrative. Gee, what a surprise. And joining me now regarding the latest egregious example of a state-funded broadcaster behaving badly is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing, Sheila.
1: I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: It is always a pleasure. So, Sheila, before we get into the nitty-gritty here, I can already hear the apologists out there arguing, hey, it's the CBC's own website. They can do what they want with their content, but that's not really true at all, is it? When they are receiving something like $1.5 billion, an involuntary $1.5 billion handout from Canadian taxpayers, we, the people surely have some skin in the game, do we not?
1: Yeah, well, you would think since, you know, like we're paying for it. All of us pay for the CBC, but CBC is purposefully cutting, I would suggest one third to one half of Canadians right out of the comment section, uh, because they don't conform to their liberal loving uh, ideas over at the CBC. And it's not even just if you're conservative. If it's, if you are critical of the CBC, now normally those things go hand in hand, but not always. (laughs) Uh, Or if you are fact checking the CBC on something you know to be wrong, they censored that too.
0: And you know, Sheila, there's two ways of looking at this. Either that they are so super thin skinned to criticism that they can't take any heat or they have a belief that, well, we control our narrative in our broadcasts and in our web content, let us also control the narrative in the comments section so that the indoctrination process is complete.
1: Well, and I think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, but also it has another purpose, and I think it serves to make you feel like maybe you're the crazy one it's a little bit of gaslighting you know if you are the only person posting in the cbc comment section uh no pretty sure trump didn't say that here's the link to what he actually said and nobody else says you're thinking well am i the crazy one why but it isolates you so that you think that well i'm the fringe minority When that's not the case, they've just gone through and deleted everybody ahead of you who tried to fact check the CBC. So not only is it controlling the narrative and this sort of elitist idea that the mother corp knows best and you best not think for yourself or criticize them. But it also, you know, it it socially isolates some of the people who have uh, opinions about the CBC about how terrible they are. And now we have it in black and white. We know that they do that.
0: You know, and it's kind of, you know, the big picture here, Sheila, when it comes to the left, when it comes to the progressives, there's no more room for debate or discussion anymore, is there? It's you, here is the agenda. We all now march in lockstep. And if you don't, uh, well, you'll be canceled and you'll never be allowed back. Uh, is this what we're seeing here in a, uh, a micro situation with the way in which CBC runs its own website?
1: Yeah, I think we're seeing some of that, especially um, towards the end of my story there. I pointed out the organizations that CBC uh, treats as though they are credible sources of COVID-19 information. The World Health Organization, flip-flop, flip-flop, (laughs) flip-flop, Vox, BuzzFeed, CBC thinks that they are credible sources of COVID-19 information, and yet... The news organizations they listed, including Snopes, by the way, they had all earlier on in the pandemic completely debunked the Wuhan lab leak theory as just an unfounded conspiracy theory. And yet now, 16 months later, people like me who thought, well, that's a kind of a possibility that they have this like bioweapons lab in Wuhan at the epicenter of the virus i mean like when you say it that way it makes perfect sense right but all these organizations debunked that theory early on and basically said anybody even remotely suggesting that is a conspiracy theorist well now everybody is considering that a reasonable theory not a conspiracy theory of how the coronavirus came to be and i think a lot of people at the time when the lab leak theory was first speculated on a year ago, a lot of people were censored. Their Facebook pages were taken down. Their comments on the CBC were definitely deleted. Uh, YouTube videos were nuked. But now, as it turns out, all those people were probably right. And so I think, you know, like that last little bit where you could see these are the people CBC relies on to get their information when it sh- they should have been listening to the people early on.
0: Yeah, you know, Sheila, I never understood from day one why it was that this was such an outrageous theory. Here's an outbreak of the coronavirus in Wuhan the same place where there is the wuhan institute of virology which tinkers with biological and chemical weapons. i mean like okay what are the odds right but tell me uh, before we wrap sheila uh you went through so many pages of uh these documents that we got a lot of it didn't even make it to your commentary in the uh, uh just because of time um is there anything else that you didn't report in your commentary that stood out as just really outrageous or ridiculous or thin-skinned censorship when it comes to the CBC's comment section?
1: Well, the things that I thought were outrageous, naturally I put them in the story. Like how CBC <laughs> was censoring criticism of the CBC and one of, this, one of the, they wrote this whole entire story about how, you know, like trust in journalism is failing and please tell us how we can do better. They literally asked for comments, and then they censored the comments and closed the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't do anything about fixing it. Like, they didn't even think this is a kind of a crazy idea. They didn't do anything to fix it until a former CBC journalist whose name they redacted in the interest of, <laughs> I don't know, trust in journalism, he complained. And then they're like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe we're right. I also thought it was interesting that even if, like, if a black activist speculated on what word Wendy Mesley used in a staff meeting it was the n word by the way but if people were speculating their comments were being deleted and it didn't even it didn't matter you could have been a prominent high profile black activist CBC was nuking you
0: unbelievable well Sheila we got to wrap it there maybe you and I should send in a suggestion to the CBC commentary page what do you want to bet they'll delete it just based on name recognition alone of the comments writer I wouldn't put it past them Sheila that was a great piece thank you so much
1: thanks David have a great weekend
0: you too my friend and that was Sheila gunn Reid, somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta keep it here folks more of Rebel Roundup to come right after this
2: Yankipala here reporting for Rebel News at the anti-Bill C6 rally in Montreal with billboard Chris is in town. He's uh, speaking to people and telling them why he's opposed to Bill C6 and about 20, 30 other people showed up a few other groups that opposed Bill C6. Bill C6 is the Liberals' new criminalization of conversion therapy. Parents groups and religious groups across the spectrum from Catholics to evangelicals say the law is so vague that it could criminalize mainstream Christian religious teachings as well as result in criminal charges to parents who seek out gender affirming therapies. For their children who experience gender dysphoria or confusion campaign life calls it an assault on freedom civil liberties and christianity itself let's speak with some of the people and see if uh, some people with opposing views or pro views want to speak to us and see what the what they have to say but we can't switch our sex that's just the nature of life So you're back in Montreal, where you've been assaulted just a couple of months ago. How do you feel being back here in the city?
3: I feel great. I've got a lot of support this time. Um, I wasn't going to let these uh, gender terrorists intimidate me and stop me from coming back. So I'm super happy to be back here. I'm going to keep coming every three months or so. Because we have a giant issue affecting children all across this country where thousands of kids are being given what's called gender affirming care which is a really nice sounding term for pharmaceutical intervention when they don't feel right in their bodies we have children with a condition known as rapid onset gender dysphoria primarily affecting girls these days where they want to transition to boys and instead of doing any talk therapy to get at the source of this dysphoria they are fast-tracked and given a drug called Lupron which completely stops their body from going through puberty so all of these very important biological processes won't occur and then they're put on the opposite sex hormones so for girls this is testosterone for boys it's estrogen and oftentimes these girls when they're 14 15 16 years of age are also getting double mastectomies even without parental approval because unethical doctors will do this as a mature minor for these kids and we're sterilizing a generation of gender confused kids And we need to put a stop to it, because all of our studies show that about 90% of these kids, if they were allowed to go through puberty, their gender dysphoria would simply go away. And they'd live healthy lives, but instead we're turning them into lifelong medical patients and destroying their future sexual function, ability to have children, ability to breastfeed, all sorts of medical consequences. So I'm just here to tell the truth and to raise awareness, because the media won't report on it, the government's pushing it, and the schools are now teaching our children that their gender is entirely dependent, upon what stereotypes they like if a girl is more stereotypically masculine if she's a tomboy if she wants to be a mechanic or have short hair or wear jeans or is just simply unhappy with her body uh, there's a whole bunch of girls that are now trying to transition to boys and there's a social contagion going on we have entire peer groups of girls transitioning and we need to put a stop to this madness
0: activist chris elston was in montreal recently to protest the use of puberty blockers in children This in itself was an act of bravery by Chris given that just a couple of months ago when Chris was previously in Montreal he was brutally attacked by members of the ever tolerant loving left ending up with a broken arm no less. I guess if these ideologues can't adequately debate him they simply resort to violence and how pathetic is that? And joining me now from Montreal is Yankee Pollock, who covered the Elston demonstration. How are you doing there, Yankee? I'm doing good. Excellent. How you? Very good, my friend. So, Yankee, I think what we are seeing right now in terms of so called trans activism is downright disturbing. This idea that minors can go through a process. Of changing their sex why is this being allowed we have age restrictions on everything from buying lottery tickets and cigarettes to alcohol how does anyone think this is a jolly good idea this idea of children in their formative years going through a sex change procedure
2: I'm not sure to be honest but uh... The government thinks it's a good idea, and the government keeps pushing these ideologies. Not, I'm not sure why, though. Um, but yeah, Chris was out there protesting it, and you know, some people passed by and agreed, and others passed by, and they were just pointing fingers and just saying things. Nothing major happened, unlike uh, last time where he was beat, beaten up and got his arm broken. Nothing happened thankfully, this time around. But, yeah, it's the government uh, wants to allow kids to go through treatments that they don't need, and I'm not sure why. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling that the government is okay with giving experimental drugs that are off-label to kids uh, so they could stay on meds all their
0: life. And, and you know, Yankee, I I don't think it's just the government, too, because you see in academia, you see with uh, many members of the medical community and the uh, law community, there's this narrative that this is completely fine. And if you have a dissenting opinion, you are therefore a transphobe. But um, as Chris pointed out, look at the number, the disturbing number of uh, children basically in their formative years that have gone through this process and then basically suffer buyer's remorse. They want to switch back and uh, they've had all kinds of debilitating uh, medicines and chemicals going into them. Why can't we have an open discussion? Why can't we say that perhaps this child, it's not a girl trapped in a boy's body or a boy trapped in a girl's body, but someone going through a phase And maybe we should at least wait until they are adults for them to make such a life-changing decision.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I I have no issue with adults doing whatever they want. It's just, why are you pushing little kids to change their life and do things when they don't even know what they want? They're just being told by adults what they want. And, you know, these puberty blockers could leave lifelong... um, could, they usually do leave lifelong, um, what's it called, um, issues, um, lifelong medical issues for these kids. You know, if you want to change your sex or believe you're in the wrong body, that's fine. You could do it when you're 18. Go through all these things. You don't need to push little kids to go through these procedures that will harm them all their life if they grow up a bit older and realize that, oops, I made a mistake.
0: Oh, 100% for something so important. And, you know, Yankee, I mean, my position, you know, when it comes to the trans issue is that listen if you want to get the surgery and take the chemicals and wear the other sex's clothing i mean we're a free country you can do what you want that's fine but this idea of uh, i guess indoctrination that you know it's not only just a matter of acceptance and tolerance but we must stand and give a standing ovation that this is so good and i mean we're looking at globally speaking the number of trans people it's a percent of a percent of a percent and yet this seems to be a burning issue that not only is this to be tolerated this is to be encouraged and if you don't encourage it you are therefore a transphobe i think that's a terrible situation that we're in right now
2: yeah i tolerated everyone um but Kids shouldn't be pushed to do life-altering decisions when they're so young, and we should wait until kids are older, um, well, until you're an adult, to make these decisions. And if you're an adult and you want to do these decisions, go ahead, do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we can't have a child buy a lottery ticket, for goodness sakes, until they're 18 or 19, whatever the age is, um, how can we expect that child to make such a life changing decision? And you know, this idea of trans acceptance, it does have a detrimental effect. Uh, Let's look at the world of sports uh when you have men transitioning into women and going into elite sports uh they're wiping the fields with the natural born uh woman whether it's wrestling cycling uh, mixed martial arts i mean forever the genders were uh divided by um uh sex in terms of sports with the exception of equestrian and auto racing and again here we have a society where if you point to the obvious man in the crowd winning a medal in a woman's uh, doctrine uh this isn't something for debate this isn't something to reconsider but you are automatically a transphobe i'm just so curious yankee let's wrap it at this how such a tiny percentage of of trans people and an even smaller percentage of trans activists got society to where we are today it's fascinating to me
2: Yeah, it is fascinating how such a minor minority is controlling the narrative. I'm not sure. I think it's most people just want to live their life and don't care about these things. They just want to live their life. And there's a very small, minor, I guess, community that is pushing these things. And most people are scared to speak out or scared to say what they believe. And most of the people just want to live life and don't care what others do. And they don't realize that it's harming the next generations.
0: hundred percent. Once again, we are seeing another example of the tail wagging the dog. Yankee, thank you so much for that report. Much appreciated. Thank you. And that was Yankee Pollock in Montreal. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. (laughs) Folks, you might recall that last week I told you how I had been served with a summons by Peterborough police for covering an anti-lockdown protest in that city. The summons simply stated that I was being charged under section 7.0.2 of the laughably named Reopening Ontario Act. Yeah, I'm going to give him his court documents. His court documents? Yeah. Being charged with. After all, I was not the events organizer, nor a speaker, nor even an attendee. I was just covering this peaceful protest as a journalist. That's not illegal. Well, not yet. Well, I just took delivery of the disclosure that the Peterborough Police Service is going to present in court against me later this month. Pages and pages of it, all about me and my actions that day. It read like a John Grisham thriller. So let's jump to the chase. The crime I committed on April 24th is that I shook hands with people? (laughs) And they even have the photos to prove it. No, I swear, folks, check out this excerpt. Quote, at 1247 hours, Staff Sergeant McLean made note and observed Menzies approach and greet Mr. Maxime Bernier. And shaking Mr. Bernier's hand, the two stood next to each other and engaged in a conversation. Neither person was wearing a mask or maintaining the required two meters physical distancing. After a short conversation, Menzies could be seen interviewing Mr. Bernier on the grass just off the stage area." Oh, merciful God in heaven. Why was I not tasered for this crime against humanity? Oh, but wait a second, folks. In the here and now, I apparently committed another crime on April 24th, in addition to all that illicit handshaking. Here's the allegation, quote, one photo shows Menzies and Mr. Hillier standing next to each other. Both are laughing while Mr. Hillier has his left hand on Menzies' right shoulder, end quote. Oh my God, I laughed on that day? Oh yeah, I laughed and I giggled and I guffawed and naturally the super serious Peterborough Police Service, well, they deem laughter to be sinister. Then again, folks, maybe the Peterborough cops are right about this laughter thingy. I did some research online and lo and behold, I came across criminals who laugh aloud all the time and these aren't just run-of-the-mill criminals, these are supervillains check out the video evidence after you've chewed over this one for a while look for two more adios amigos see you in court Oh my, Peterborough, Ontario is certainly no place for the likes of such laugh-happy criminals as the Riddler or the Joker. Oh no, not with super serious Staff Sergeant Dan McLean on the prowl. This law enforcement humorless halfwit has a keen eye for any sort of merriment breaking out in little Peterborough. And if McLean catches you having a good time, oh yes, there shall indeed be hell to pay. In any event you had plenty to say about the Peterborough Police Service ticketing people for the heinous crimes of handshaking and ooh laughing. You know, I almost can't believe I just said that. Frank G writes, Thank God you weren't a Christian pastor, then they would throw you in jail. You know what, Frank? I think you're right on the money, and sadly there's nothing funny about that. Ever seek rights The government is going after their political rivals. That is more than obvious at this point. This is the kind of behavior you'd expect to see in a dictatorship. You are so correct, Everseek. The attendance at this anti-lockdown protest was estimated to be anywhere between 600 and 1,200 people. Virtually nobody was wearing masks. Virtually nobody was socially distancing. Tons of folk shaking hands, hugging, and oh my God, even laughing. And yet... With all of those hundreds and hundreds of people there, who got targeted for tickets? Well, in addition to yours truly, there was PPC leader Maxine Bernier and MPP Randy Hillier. They were also ticketed. Anyone detect a pattern here? John Doe writes, LMFAO. If you ever decide to retire from journalism, you could have a career in stand-up comedy, Dave. Well... (laughs) On one condition, John Doe, the rank and file of the Peterborough Police Service must be retained as my gag writers because really, they are truly comedic geniuses. Rue Zimba writes, Thanks, David, for seven minutes of laughter. Brilliant. Oh, Rue Zimba, if you want to really get a laugh, just wait till the court case (laughs) takes place and these jabronis are laughed right out of the courtroom. By the judge, that is. And Bill Demich writes, The pettiness by the cops is sickening. Agreed, Bill, and pathetic. Little wonder my boss Ezra proclaimed Staff Sergeant Dan McLean as the worst cop in Canada. And Really, how can you dispute this when someone in law enforcement is handing out a ticket for laughter? What a dumb, spiteful idiot. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget... Without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.